Hey, welcome. Good to be back with you again this week. Uh, last week, we started this series called Time Has Come. We talked about vision and uh, what that vision would look like as we started our time here together at Sandy Plains Baptist Church. Uh, and if you remember, we said that our vision would be to love God, love others, and serve the world. Uh, it, it's Come on, it, it's not that hard. It's only three phrases, and they're pretty catchy, pretty easy to remember. So say it with me. We are to love God, love others, and serve the world. In carrying out this vision, both individually and corporately, we need to make sure that we are focused on the objective. Focus is important. In the story that I told last week about getting glasses, I said that as I looked at signs that may be a little farther off, especially at night, uh, the letters didn't look as crisp and as clear or as sharp as they could, meaning this, that they were a little out of focus. Um, Focus is important when it comes to many things we do daily. We must focus when we're driving, as I talked about with needing glasses, Uh, When we cook, so last night when I was cooking a meal, I need to make sure I focused so I didn't burn the hamburger steak or burn the macaroni. Um, We don't want to ruin the meal, do we? Uh, It's important when we're doing our schoolwork. So students, you need to make sure that you have focus when you're in the classroom and then when you're at home doing that work. When we're reading God's Word, it's important to have focus, to understand what we're reading, not get lost in the weeds, not to daydream as we're reading because God has something to say to us. So focus is very important, and if we're going to finish and to start well, We need to make sure we know how to focus. But focus is also important if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be in this community. So what's the focus going to be here at Sandy Plains? Well, here it is. We're going to focus on reaching, equipping, strengthening, and mobilizing individuals and families. Let me say it one more time for the back row. We are going to focus on reaching, equipping, strengthening, mobilizing individuals and families. So the very first thing, reaching Uh, The Barna Research Group, a widely respected resource, especially for pastors and churches as they're looking at different statistics, in a recent article said that 43%, that's four out of every 10 people who accept Jesus as their personal Savior, do so before the age of 14. That same article said that 64% of all born-again believers had accepted Christ before the age of 18, and that only 13% of people between the ages of 18 and and 21 make a profession of faith. Those numbers are staggering and heartbreaking. That means that if we are a church are going to make a significant impact for the kingdom in this community, it will be done with those between the ages of 5 and 14. That's why here at Sandy Plains, children's ministry and student ministry are going to be a strong focus of what we do. But it also means that most of our work, where we're going to really have to dig in and find ways to reach people, is going to be between the ages of 18 and over. We're really going to have to focus in this area. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 22 to 33. Paul, standing for Areopagus, says, uh, opens with this phrase. He says, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. Who knows? Was Paul taking a dig at the leaders in Athens as he's standing here at Mars Hill? Was he just trying to appeal uh, to them before he puts them on blast? See, we're not sure if there's sarcasm here because you can't always read tone in someone's writing or in a text, or in an email, and that's, that's very important for us to remember. Uh, perhaps he was saying, you think you're religious, but guess what? I'm about to show you that you're not. He goes on to say, for a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this transcription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Ancient literature contains some references to altars about these unknown gods. In a writing by, Deo, by Deogenes, uh, he points to the practice of anonymous worship as a safety precaution, meaning that if there were other gods out there, they would worship them just to make sure that their life would not be destroyed out of anger. 
you got to remember, he's speaking here to the Greeks, and the Greeks were very big on other gods and mythology and that sort of thing. I would say for the world today, for our community, we see these altars as well. People worship at the altar of money because they have a fear of being poor or without. I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling here in the last two years, and in the Simbus report that I use, one of the things it talks about is money and finances, and it asks what money means to these couples. And for a lot of these couples, they mark that money means security. And so we find that in our community today, people alter at the, at the or worship at the altar of money because they fear of being poor or without. They worship at the altar of sports or extracurricular activities because they have a fear of rebellion from their kids. They also worship at the altar of drugs and alcohol because the world seems broken. And this is the only thing that temporarily, temporarily fixes it. Paul goes on to say, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made with hands. Man, I am so glad that Paul put this verse in there in in Acts. Uh, Let me read it again. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made with hands. Since I've been here on staff at Sandy Plains, I've been asked and cornered about whether we're going to meet in the sanctuary and if that's the place we should hold worship. If we're going to meet in the gym, the FLC, the gymnatorium, whatever it is that you want to call that, and is that the place we're going to do worship? With all due respect and with as much love as I can say this, it really does not matter to me. And it doesn't matter to me because of what this line says here in verse 24. See, because in every believer, in every New Testament believer, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. He no longer lives in, in the sanctuary, never longer lives in the family life center. He lives in us. We can meet at the stadium down the road at the high school. We can meet at the lake. We can meet out in the parking lot. We can meet in the back in the cemetery. As long as believers are there and the Holy Spirit's living in them, that is where God's going to be. And so I'll go ahead and end that debate. It, it, it doesn't really matter, although I do have a plan. And so here we find that Paul is trying to really... I don't know, draw them down on this. And Paul says this, he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Church, sometimes we think that we serve God and, and that, and, and that we, we, he needs us. Here's some clear understanding that we need to have. One is God, he had, we have nothing to offer him. Uh, he is the creator of heavens and earth. He is the giver and taker of life. By him all things and in him all things. Listen, the song, the same song says he is worthy of it all. But, but we don't have anything to offer him. But what we do serve is we serve the mission. Matthew 28, therefore, go. So we serve this mission. And in doing that, we're joining God on what he's doing. Paul here blows up the entire religious system in Athens. Then in verse 30, the word therefore makes this transition, meaning that because of everything that's been said already, Paul here at Mars Hill, he's, he says, therefore, he says this, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Well, why should they repent? Well, he goes on to tell us, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by the raising him from the dead. That's in verses 30 and 31. So our first focus as a church must be about reaching people in our community, being able to share the gospel with them not only in the things that we do, but more importantly, in the things that we say, by actually pulling alongside of them and talking about this Jesus that we love dearly and why. The second thing that we see here is equipping. 
When I was in the Marine Corps, I was issued the standard combat necessities. We called it 782 gear. I can remember as soon as I got to boot camp, I was issued 782 gear. It consisted of a first aid pack, ammo pouches, canteens, load-bearing vest, uh, a bulletproof vest, if you will, Kevlar. It consisted of a helmet. It consisted of a, of a sidearm carrier. It had all these things on it, but it's called 782 gear because it's named after the Department of Defense form that every Marine gets and receives when they get this gear that they have to sign. While I was stationed in Atlanta, Georgia, I had all my equipment in the back of Diana's car because that's the car that I'd been driving. I carried it around because at a moment's notice, they could tell you that they wanted to inspect it or that you were being deployed, so go put it on. One crisp morning around 5 a.m., I went to the car just like every other day, and as I went out there, I found that the car had been stolen. Someone had stolen not just the car, but all of my 782 gear in the trunk. I was no longer a fully equipped United States Marine ready for battle. Unfortunately, we have many believers in this world today that, like that morning, are not equipped for the battle they will face in this world. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this in chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 12, he says this, and I need you to just kind of draw in, lean in for a minute. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Church, I need you to understand today that we are being attacked, not by people, although people may be carrying it out, but we're being attacked by exactly what Paul is saying here, by uh, not flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the world forces of this darkness. What he's saying is the devil has a plan, and he is sending people to create and to do and to, to do these attacks. And so he's doing it very subtly, though. He's putting things before us, and he's showing us things that we think, oh, that's not that bad. You know, really, is it that bad? Uh, I'm riding down from the church to my house, I noticed passing a house that had a Halloween decoration out. And it was a hand, and in the middle of that hand was an eye. And it seems like maybe it's just an inflatable that's meant to kind of be funny or be scary or whatever the case might be. But that eye is representation of what a lot of people say is the all-seeing eye. It's, the, it's Satan just trying to have his way and get into people's lives. And, and it seems so innocent, but it's not the same way it is with the crystals that you see people wear around their neck. Now, I'm not talking about the diamonds. We know those are expensive. But they wear these New Age crystals, which has everything to do with this New Age religion and, and, and the occult, not with Christianity. He goes on to say, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says that we are to be equipped for the battle. Here at Sandy Plains, we're going to be offering discipleship opportunities for individuals and families that prepare them for the battle. I will be giving you tools that will equip you for the fight that is ahead of you. If I ask how many of you right now know how to share the gospel with someone, how many of you would be able to raise your hand real quick and just say, hey, that's me, I know how to share the gospel? Chances are that many of you even listening to this would say, hey, I know how to do that. I've been through this training, that training. I've developed a plan over my lifespan that, that I am comfortable with in sharing the gospel. But if I asked how many of you could defend your faith against an atheist or perhaps a Muslim or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, 
not argue with them, but biblically defend it with the truth. How many of you would be able to raise your hand then? See, those are some of the things. That's my job. That's the church's job to make sure that believers are equipped. And so we're going to do that. Third thing is strengthening. Every morning except for Sunday, I get up and I go to the gym. My week consists of six out of seven days for about an hour to an hour and a half of lifting. Everything from bench press to curls to tricep extensions, leg presses, squats, pull-ups. Why the leg extensions and squats and leg curls? Well, listen, you can't be legendary without leg day. At least that's what the sign of the gym says. I do this because it's important for me to stay in shape and maintain my strength. See, I don't want to be the guy who can't pick up his grandson or open a jar of pickles for my wife when she wants one. It's also important that we are strong spiritually. We, the church, and I, as your pastor, have an obligation to make sure that believers, individuals, and families are growing stronger every day. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus saw the crowd, and he went up on a hill where he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. We know the rest of the story in chapter 5 to be the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, and Jesus, what he was doing was strengthening those that were following him. Jesus also taught in parables. There's the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, or the parable of the hidden treasure. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. With the focus on strengthening individuals, we'll offer discipleship classes, groups, in, in groups or in, in, in larger settings, uh, we'll offer ministries that move believers from the milk to the solid food. Children's ministry and student ministry is designed to partner with you as parents in the spiritual raising of your teens and your children. Listen, it's not their job to be the, the, the end all to doing that. What they're to do is partner with what you're doing. They come alongside of you and undergird that. There'll be adult discipleship classes on finances, on marriage, on parenting, cultural wars, and so many other topics that would be made available. So starting on Wednesday, December the 7th, I'll be leading here at the church or teaching a class entitled Christ-Centered Parenting. It's a six-week class that will cover the gospel framework for parenting, human dignity, identity, sexuality. Listen, if you don't think that is big with you raising your children, you have your head in the sand. It'll deal with relationships and then finally with technology. So I want to encourage you as we begin strengthening and putting this, this model into place, jump in and be a part of it. And then the last thing is mobilizing. Jesus in the New Testament church sends. He sends or commissions us to go and to do, to be his hands and feet in this world. We are called to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, and to support one another. So many scripture references to this, and we do not do this by sitting in our little bubbles we do it as you go. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When my oldest daughter was in high school, I had the opportunity to take her to Albania with me a country halfway around the world that barely speaks English, that is known for being predominantly Muslim, and Abby thrived working with, loving on, and teaching kids in the orphanage. Over the years, our family, through student ministry trips and outreach programs, has served together in the community and other communities, being on mission, and it truly grew our family. Diane and I have had an opportunity to travel to Haiti, Albania, Russia, Czech Republic, Puerto Rico, Florida, 
Maine, Alaska, New Mexico, Portland, and many other states serving on missions. We will both tell you that it made a tremendous impact in our lives individually and also as a couple. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So on January 21st to the 27th, 2023, I'll be leading a trip from here to Puerto Rico for a mission trip on hurricane recovery. The costs and details will be published soon, but as far as the mission trip goes, it's really cheap. It's only $310 cost in-country, which includes your lodging, transportation, food, and everything else, plus the airfare. So those that are 12 and older, they'll be able to attend. And if you're listening to this and you're a part of Sandy Plains or you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I want to be a part of a mobilizing church, uh, just contact church office. We'd love to tell you more about it. But our vision here at Sandy Plains is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And then our strategic focus will be to reach, equip, Strengthen, mobilize individuals and families. Are you willing to join me on this journey? Well, I hope you are. Join us next week as we talk about a new passion for the gospel as we continue this series, A Time Has Come. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.